Hello and welcome to My Entrepreneurial Journey, an audio journal on my current startup experience. Every episode, I'll record about the recent events and insights I've come across during the week. Let's get started. All right, this week there are five things I want to talk about. First, Um, I'm concluding now one of the stages of this project, um, and I want to recap a bit about what I learned so far. Second, I want to discuss a bit about incentives on the entrepreneurial experience I've had so far. Third, I want to discuss a bit what's happening during COVID and how is it working to do this while having to work remotely. Fourth, I want to discuss a bit fear of sales, and then Five, I want to finish discussing a bit my level of excitement um, with the experience so far. So let's start with number one, the idea. As I mentioned before, this idea is building a platform to supply ingredients for small and medium restaurants. Part of what we wanted to do during our discovery or customer discovery was to understand what are the different business models we could have. Broadly, what we found in the market are two types of business model. Of course, it's not so clear cut. You have people in the, in the middle, people combining both, heavier on one side, heavier on the other. But broadly speaking, we labeled them service platforms and product platforms. Service platforms are platforms that are only connecting restaurants to their distributors, meaning that they, are, they don't do any supply chain, they don't have any operation other than a platform connecting restaurant to distributor. Whereas a product platform is one in which they have some sort of operation behind the digital platform. And so they are either uh, helping with logistics, they are sourcing ingredients themselves, and, and they have some sort of inventory and they sell out of that. So it's a bit more of an asset intensive um, operation. Now, what we found is that the service platform doesn't work that well. We have a few different theories as to why that is, but apparently one, they can't make money because no one's willing to pay for that. They're working as an intermediary between two parties that are actually already interacting well today. So no one's willing to give them money to intermediate that. But also two, for some reason, their customer stickiness is very low. So people try the platform and then they're not able or they're not able to retain the customer. The person tries the platform and then they don't go back to it again. Um, We didn't figure really out why it is. Our guess is that the platform is not solving the problems that they have. So our hypothesis of problem is that ingredient sourcing is complex. It's time consuming. There are issues with quality consistency and there is a cost factor, right? So prices are either varying too much or they're not saving as much as they think they could save. When you have the service platform, they might be addressing the complexity issue because you're combining all of them into the same platform. They might be solving the time issue because instead of having to discuss with your distributor or having problems every week or whatever it is, you have a digital platform, which is convenient but you're not solving cost because you're still connecting them to the same supplier as before and you're not solving quality because again, the product is coming from the same person. So all in all, it seems like service platform is not a good idea. 
So we're going with product platform, meaning that this will be harder because we will have to source ingredients, we will have to store them, and we will have to take care of logistics. But it is, um, it is what we think will actually solve the customer problem, and therefore it's where we think we can make more money. Right? When, you're, when you're solving a hard problem, that means you can make more money out of it than if you're solving an easy problem. So that's uh, what we're going to test during the next stage of the project. Um, we're going to try a bit each of those different stages, see what works and what doesn't. Maybe doing all of those things I mentioned, sourcing, warehousing, and distribution is too much. Maybe we're going to figure out that if we do just sourcing and warehousing, that's enough. Um, and distribution, you know, the restaurant can pick it up or something. Uh, we don't know. We're going to find out as we test it out. We're testing all three things at once. And we'll figure out which of these is actually important. Uh, which of these we can actually afford to do. Second thing I want to talk about today is incentives. So incentives in entrepreneurship are a bit different than in entrepreneurship. So when you're an entrepreneur, you have the biggest incentive is you own the company. And that means if the company makes money, you're going to make money. If there's a liquidity event and you have like an IPO or you're selling it off to someone, you're going to make money. As an entrepreneur, the base case so far seems to be that you don't get equity in the company. Meaning if the company makes money, you might make money as a bonus for doing a good job or something, but that depends on your boss, I guess. Um, and if the company is sold, which maybe is less likely, right? There's the likelihood of liquidity event in entrepreneurship might be lower than in entrepreneurship. But if it does happen, the default is you don't get anything. So what the people setting up this incubator say, this internal incubator say, is that the incentive should be that you want to try out entrepreneurship in a safe environment. I think they're underestimating the risk in being an intrapreneur because when you dedicate yourself to this, you are basically quitting your job. When you hop into this project, whatever team you were a part of before, they have to hire someone to replace you which means that if this project doesn't work, you can't go back to what you had before. So essentially, you're losing your job if this doesn't work. Um, of course, depending on the company, they have a lot of flexibility of placing you somewhere else afterwards. But that's basically like having to find a new job because you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know even which country is it going to be in. If you're in a small country in Asia like what I am today, the company's not very big here. I'd say there's a big chance that if this doesn't work out and they try to place me somewhere, it will probably mean that I have to move from the current country that I'm in. So it is a big risk. I think they're underestimating this, the, how risky this is. But the problem is not that there is risk. The problem is that they're not compensating people accordingly. And so that's the discussion I've been having with them recently. I've been trying to convince them to figure out a way to give founders equity. So this can be something like a phantom stock. This can be something like um, equity in the big company, right? So they do have some sort of shares distribution program. What if they do that 
for us, we get shares in the company, which is usually something that only more senior people get. It could be some sort of increased bonus instead of equity. So every time I hit a certain milestone, I get a big paycheck to compensate me for doing it. So still very early on in this discussion, I've only spoken to a few different people about this. Um, it's not going to be easy because they, they don't want to do it. And not because they're evil or anything, but just because it's a lot more complicated than it sounds. When you have a big company like this, it's, it's, they see whatever moves they make to one person as something that has to be scalable to the whole company. And in fact, that is what I want. I don't want them to open an exception for me. I want this to be a rule for every founder so that we can incentivize more people to do what I'm doing. But let's see what happens. Over the next few weeks, I'll probably have a few more updates on this. Now, a little bit about doing this remotely. The pilot hasn't started yet, so I can't say how remote this will really be. But essentially, the pilot that I want to run is in a different country than where I'm placed right now, where I'm located right now. So as I mentioned, I'm in a small country. So it wouldn't make sense to run the pilot here because we don't have enough restaurants for this to be scalable. But we do have a country close by, also in Southeast Asia, where we believe a pilot could be more interesting and more scalable. So if it works, if the pilot works out, it's easier for it to become something big over there. The problem is I'm not over there. And with COVID, I don't think I can go over there. I'm going to try my best because I think you need to be on the ground to do these things. But there's a chance that at least in the very beginning over the next few months, I won't be able to be there. And then the question comes, of course, how am I going to do this, right? Um, a lot of the calls maybe, right, can happen remotely. So while I'm setting up some partner to do the, the logistics or something like that, maybe these things I can do remotely. But ultimately, you need someone on the ground. So what I'm trying to figure out is, are we going to hire someone there? Are we going to ask some of the business people from our company that are on the ground to help me with this? I'm not really sure how this is going to work out, but I'll keep the records here updated on how big of a problem it is that I'm doing this remotely. Fourth topic of today, fear of sales. This is something I've been feeling a bit recently. I don't... I know I need to talk to customers. Uh, right now, we don't have anything to sell to them yet. So, so far, I've been talking to them just as a, an interview, right? So can I ask you a few questions about your ingredient sourcing process? Even that was a bit uncomfortable, but not too much because I was just asking them for their inputs and people usually like to share their thoughts. So that wasn't a big issue. When I think about asking customers to join the pilot, that already makes me a bit uncomfortable. It feels like I'm going to be a burden to them. I can already already think of, you know, 20 different reasons of why they would say no. And that makes me a bit anxious. I know this is normal. I've, I've heard in some of the uh, Y Combinator classes that founders do get a bit anxious of putting their, about putting their product out there to customers. They don't want to hear the feedback. They don't want to get rejected. So I know it's normal, but it is something that's happening to me right now. And I have to figure out some strategies to overcome this. 
But even though fear of sales might, sign, might sound like it's negatively impacting my experience, this brings me to topic five, my level of excitement right now. I have to say that I haven't been this excited about anything work-related in so long. I, I've been for the past few years just, you know, dreading Mondays when it's Sunday evening. I already get sad because I know that Monday's coming up. I've been always trying to do things as quickly as possible in work so that I can get rid of it and go do something else. And now for the first time, I find myself excited about work again. And sometimes I'm working on weekends, right? And not, nothing too crazy. Like, it's not like I'm scheduling calls or building PowerPoint pages or anything like that. It's more in the sense that I get these ideas of things that I want to do and I need to open my notebook and start writing down the things that I'm thinking about. And when Monday comes, I'm excited because I'm going to get the chance to work on this again and discuss this topic with people. So it's very exciting to be this excited about work again. So I'm very happy that I'm doing this. I, I know there will be hurdles along the way, but I hope these are interesting problems to crack. I know it will be stressful and there will be times of doubt, but still I hope that at least on average, I continue to be more excited about this than about what I was doing before. So that's it for today. I think this episode is long enough already. Next week, I might discuss a bit what I think my previous experience has helped or not in building this. And whatever else happens during the week, that might give me a few additional ideas of what to record next weekend as well. So that's it. Catch you next time. Take care.